Hi there, Dane here from Arc Health. Welcome to Remote Consultation Masterclass. This is a podcast where we catch up with leading healthcare professionals to discuss tips and tricks for carrying out remote consultations, as well as bringing you key nuggets of information for your CPD. Now you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi there, welcome to Remote Consultation Masterclass series. So our series of podcasts is aimed to dive right into the mind of the experts in the field on a range of medically related topics. So my name's Dane, I'm a GP and a sport and exercise medicine consultant based in Yorkshire. And today I'm joined by Dr. Christos Kasp, a consultant dermatologist. Uh, Today we're gonna be talking about remote dermatology, looking at a range of things from different tools uh, that are available, exploring the challenges and the advantages, looking at commonly dealt conditions and how not to miss the more significant ones, which we all worry about, as well as briefly touching upon medico-legal elements as well. Um, So firstly, Christos, thank you for joining us. And before we get started, it's always nice to know a bit more about your background. So tell us a bit about yourself. Sure. Um, Thank you for inviting me, Dane. Um, So I am a consultant dermatologist. Um, I work, I'm based in Birmingham, uh, but I work in uh, Wolverhampton um, mainly. And I have been a consultant dermatologist for uh, about seven years now, uh, having trained in the West Midlands area. Uh, but obviously during the, um, during my career, I've, I've been in Yorkshire and Manchester, uh, before that. So, um, but I have been, um, in a substantive post for, for about seven years, uh, just before the pandemic started, I had made a decision to pursue an opportunity abroad for six months. Uh, so, um, my plan was to leave my post in May, uh, and then, uh, go abroad, uh, and, and work abroad. And of course that never materialized due to the, uh, travel yeah. restrictions and the pandemic. Uh, but that in fact gave me an opportunity to engage in other ways of working and, and particularly, uh, remote working, uh, in dermatology, um, uh, you know, as, as, as at the time, this was the main method, uh, and the main way. Uh, of engaging with patients and and, and offering services uh, at the time. Perfect. Okay, so you're the right you're the right man for this uh, podcast anyway. Um, and if you've been doing a lot of remote stuff, uh, clearly you know there, there's lots to talk about here. Um, so I guess probably let's start with there are lots of different ways to work remotely in dermatology. So it'd be useful to find out from you what the different ways are that you are working remotely in dermatology. Yes, you're right. There are a number of different ways one can work remotely. Um, This can be via telephone clinics or telephone uh, consultations, uh, video consultations, uh, or they can be using a more uh, tele-dermatology-specific platform. Um, I guess during the pandemic, we've been focusing a lot more on telephone consultations um uh and some video consultations but they do have the 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 slight disadvantages i would have to say um when it comes to video uh but teledermatology has been very useful as well because that provides the images which are necessary uh to make a proper examination okay and so talking about kind of platforms um what do you need in a platform as a dermatologist to kind of do your job well so, so the essential things are uh, we need a platform which will provide all the relevant background medical information of that patient. So uh, this will provide us with a referral, uh, any previous appointments the patient may have had, uh, information on treatments, uh, 
they may be on both for skin uh, as well as general medical uh, conditions. Um, it should provide uh, some access to photography, uh, and that's very, very important. So, and there's two ways of doing that. This could either be uh, patient, patients uploading photographs onto the system, uh, or it can be done via healthcare person, a healthcare professional, taking the photographs and then uploading them onto the system. Um, however they get it onto the system, then we need to have that access, uh, easy access to photographs at the time of speaking with a patient, ideally at the time of speaking with the patient. Some bonuses would be um, a platform allowing the clinician to prescribe as well. So those can be done digitally uh, and go directly to the pharmacy. I would say this is a bonus, it's, it, it's not essential. Uh, but, you know, if we're talking about a very comprehensive uh, platform offering comprehensive services, you know, that it would be nice to include that, that as well. Yeah, perfect. And so getting those images to you easily and, and to be able to see them well is important. And, I, you know, in a lot of places we're still emailing images across by email, aren't we? So, um, yeah. OK. Yes, absolutely. Um, it's dermatology is a visual specialty. So, so we need to see something to be able to diagnose. Um, yes, history is very important and we might come to that, but, but I think getting good quality images is very, very important. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I guess we, we talked about this in other podcasts, other specialities, but I guess for dermatology specifically, what are the advantages and disadvantages, both for the patients, but also yourself as a clinician of, of kind of remote working, what have you found? So what, what I've found, um, when it comes to my own working is that, um, Working remotely is, is, is very flexible. Uh, so I just to give you an idea, I, I do a lot of tele-dermatology uh, work. So I will log into the platform, um, assess images uh, together with histories, and then I will write back to the referring clinicians with an advice. This is done very, very quickly. So from the time we receive the actual referral, we reply within 48 to 72 hours. So that direct, quick access will you know um give a much better patient experience uh because they will get a professional specialist opinion very quickly uh but also probably leads to some upskilling of of the referring gps as well because they get direct advice back for a problem they had seen recently as opposed to having to wait for several months for something they've already forgotten about um and Flexibility. So I can do this at the comfort of my home. Um, I can um, stop and start if needed. Um, equally for patients, they can do that. They can carry out or they can have a consultation from home, uh, making that work around their own schedules. Um, and um, again, that leads to uh, to good patient uh, patient experience. I think patients like that. They like that option of having the consultations done from where they need to be that particular day, rather than having to arrange transport sometimes or having to cancel all their schedules for the day in order to attend an appointment. Yeah, no, no, agreed entirely. I think there's lots of stuff. So for me, I work in MSK and we're finding that, you know, there's still a fair amount of things that even for something as practical as MSK that you can do remotely and, and patients yeah. are quite happy with that result. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, you know, dermatology, we always talk, I know, and I know photographs just aren't just your job, but obviously photographs are a big part of dermatology, and particularly from a GP perspective. I'm yes. always thinking about how do I send that picture to the dermatologist? So I know. Yes. Um, but I guess 
photographs obviously a challenge to get right so kind of do you have any kind of advice around what you tell patients to kind of get the right photograph yes so so with photographs we're trying to get the best image as best as an image or images uh, that will match the actual skin presentation so so what we need to assess during skin examination is the distribution and the symmetry and in order to do this, you need to have a distant photograph, a photograph taken from a bit of a distance so that it gives you an idea of where the rash is, if it is a rash, um, what the distribution is like, how extensive it is, and whether it's symmetrical or non-symmetrical. And then you need a close-up. So in order to assess the actual morphology uh, of the rash, which gives you more information about the nature of the rash, for example, there's an eczematous morphology or a psoriasiform morphology or pityriasiform morphology, you need a close-up. Um, so you need both per site and you need multiple sites sometimes. So we're talking, you need at least eight or 10 good quality photographs in order to be able to be, to sort of confidently uh, assess or make sure that you've seen everything that you need to see. Um, even with that, you, you may still be missing some key sites that can be important in some examinations, such as the hair, uh, the mouth, uh, or close-up of the nails. So, um, but, you know, if we had these distant and close-up photographs from multiple sites, I think that gives you the best chance of, of making a good assessment. Perfect. Um, and I guess kind of moving on from that slightly, um, you know, kind of talking about your treatment pathways and treatment decisions that you make, have they changed much during this pandemic um, in terms of remote working? Yes. So there, there have been some some changes in that. So with the pandemic and with this coronavirus, we there's been a lot of uncertainty um, of what the virus does to the immune system. And a lot of skin disease, inflammatory skin disease, is immune-mediated. So the immune system is heavily involved uh, in the pathogenesis, and also the treatments equally suppress the immune system. So um, a lot, myself and a lot of my colleagues had, uh, have had to make some changes in what type of treatments we choose for patients um, and I think the trend has been to try and avoid as much as possible immune suppressor medication like methotrexate or mm -hmm. cyclosporine for the major inflammatory disease like psoriasis and eczema and perhaps use alternative ones. Uh, I'll give you a simple example when it comes to using methotrexate or acetretine uh, to treat psoriasis. Um, the trend is to choose acetretine over methotrexate when possible uh, so that we don't suppress the immune system in those particular, uh, those particular patients. Um, I guess the other thing that has changed is regarding patients needing a lot of monitoring, whether this is uh, for drug monitoring purposes, needing blood tests every two or three weeks, or they may, ne may need to be seen in clinic a lot more frequently due to the medication they're on. Um, so, um, Patients who may be shielding, for example, um, wouldn't be advisable to have blood tests every two or three weeks mm -hmm. attending uh, a blood service or, or the GP practice for that. So again, in those patients, we would, I would personally choose some treatment options which don't rely on uh, frequent monitoring if possible. Um, so, so this has sort of shifted the way we, we've practiced. However, 
as we're getting more and more information about the effects of the coronavirus on the immune system, um, there seems to be a lot of reassuring signs that actually what we have been using all these years is fairly safe. So, so I think we're, we're seeing an, a, a reverse trend now going back to our usual ways of, of dealing with skin disease. Okay, that's good to know, because I'm sure many of us who are referring dermatologists will see a, a range of different treatments being offered than perhaps we've seen before. So it's good to kind yes. of understand why that's happening as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Great. Uh, I'm, I'm sure the monitoring of methotrexate and the fact that using less of it at the moment, it will not be seen as a bad thing to many people anyway. Um, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Um, so I guess the other thing that many doctors, I guess, worry about, and, you know, it doesn't matter what speciality, we always worry about missing that important thing. And I think uh, for me, I guess, uh, in dermatology, from a GP perspective, that's always missing the malignant lesion. Hmm. So if you're working kind of remotely, how do you mitigate these risks, kind of particularly when you're viewing these images? Yeah, I think that's a really good question, Dane. Um, so when it comes down to skin cancer risk, um, I think... One of the one of the things that become even more important is the history. So, um, focusing on those signs which may suggest malignancy, for example, rapid changes in the size, shape, or color of a lesion, uh, new onset of symptoms like bleeding, um, a strong family history of of skin cancer, assessing those risk factors of you know sunburn, type one skin those become very important. And with that, I guess, um, we're seeing also a, a lowering of the threshold of, of patients being referred for a biopsy or for removal. So, so those two together, emphasis on good history, focusing on those signs, which may suggest malignancy. Secondly, is um, reducing the threshold of who you refer or who you um, uh, treat with a biopsy first. Uh, are important. And thirdly, I would say good quality images. I cannot stress this enough. Uh, you know, with with good quality images, you can rule out skin malignancy. Um, if you have a, an image which is out of focus, it's very hard to tell. So your margin of error then becomes a lot wider and therefore, um, you know, you need to lower your threshold of, of referring for a biopsy or for specialist input. Um, so this would be my key advice with regards to lesions. Um, when it comes to rashes or more severe skin eruptions, uh, then again, there are some key features in the history that one needs to explore. Um, so when we talk about severe skin dermatosis, uh, which may include severe drug eruptions, for example, vasculitis, uh, patients with erythroderma, which means 90% body surface coverage with erythema uh, and inflammation, um, then the key features here would be to assess whether there's any history of pain in the skin. So pain is not common when it comes to skin problems, uh, but when it's there, it may suggest that there is a vasculitic process, something which is causing nec necrosis on the skin. Uh, it may suggest a more acute blistering condition um, or a severe infection. These are the common things that can present with skin pain acutely. Um, the other important clue in the history is whether there is any mouth involvement. So a history of painful mouth, uh, oral mucosa or eye mucosa, uh, any uh, discharge, exudates or blistering in these areas, again, suggest 
possibly a, a more sinister um, a drug uh, or maybe a drug eruption or a more sinister uh, skin eruption. Um, so these are key uh, key information from uh, from the history. So, okay, you know, taking from what you've said, really, you know, I guess it's the same as in many parts of medicine, but that history is important, but possibly become even more important now. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And that threshold, you know, as you said, there are, you know, it's not going to be as good as being in person. So having a slightly lower threshold to is probably important here. Um, as, as much to make sure we don't miss anything key and, and the patient gets mismanaged. Absolutely. So, so you're absolutely right. And, and finding that balance. So if you aren't able to examine that patient face to face and you have to rely on photographs, there needs to be a bit of a, a trade with a better history in a way to yeah. compensate uh, for that lack of that face to face assessment. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And I guess uh, as part of that, really, we talk, you know, we're, we're obviously everyone's worried about risk remotely as well. And, and you've talked about ways of mitigating it here. Um, but I guess there are a range of medical legal aspects to remote working that, you know, people hadn't really considered till they started doing it. And obviously, you've been doing that for a while now. Are there are many things you're regularly considering or thinking about while you're consulting now. Yes, and and this is something I had to go out. Uh, I had to go away and find out myself uh, when I started engaging with more remote working. So I contacted my indemnity, uh, and I asked them for some advice. What do I need to be looking out for uh, when I carry out these remote consultations? Um, one of the things which became uh, very clear from the start is that uh, when you do engage in any type of remote working, it's very important to. Uh, always assess whether remote working is the best way of mm. um, speaking to that patient or assessing that patient. And that needs to be clearly documented. Um, and this is, of course, something which if in a few years' time something goes wrong, there is a claim, you need to be able to justify why you chose to see that patient remotely or speak to that patient remotely as opposed to seeing them face-to-face. Um, and this may be for a number of reasons. It may be due to the restrictions in access of patients to your GP practice or to the hospital. It may to do with uh, actual mobility problems or patients shielding at home, which doesn't enable them to come to you uh, for a face-to-face uh, consultation. Or it may be because there's an acute problem not allowing for uh, you know, the consultation to take place uh, quickly enough face to face, but whatever it is, it needs to be clearly uh, documented and, and justified. Um, the indemnities will often say that it's a lot easier dealing with patients remotely if you know those patients already. Uh, so again, bear that in mind. So for patients who you've already seen and met and you have a good idea of the background history, it's a lot easier and safer to carry out remote consultations. But for new patients, again, think can I see that patient face-to-face or is remote consultation the only option? Um, The next thing is, I guess it goes without saying, but it's important. Um, Always check that you've got the right patients. And we take that for granted uh, when we see patients in clinic because we've got the receptionist checking that patient first. We've got a healthcare uh, assistant uh, checking again. uh, And then we check again when the patient comes into the room. So there's a safety net we lose that safety net when we are carrying out the consultations remotely. So so we need to make sure we've got the right patient notes in front of us and check with the patient that 
this is the right patient, name-wise, date of birth, and maybe address. Uh, so uh, that's again another important uh, another important point. Yeah, yeah. No, it happens, doesn't it? You quickly pick up notes because you're busy. Um, yeah. You might check the first name or the name, but not everything, and yeah, it can happen, can't it? Absolutely. Um, okay, so um, yeah, I think there's a range of things you picked there. I think the one of the things I wanted to point out was that you talked about follow-ups being, you know, safe online, and that kind of makes sense from what you're saying because you probably got a good idea of the diagnosis or you've seen the problem in a face-to-face yes. manner. So the risks are probably mitigated more, aren't they, at this point? Correct, um, correct. And I think what we will be seeing, Dane, over you know, going forwards from this pandemic is that I think everyone's practice will change and we will incorporate more remote working. And I think what a lot of people are doing now are keeping the new patients, patients who have never seen before, as a face-to-face consultation, yeah. but keeping follow-ups uh, remotely uh, as yeah. remote consultations. And that seems to work very well. Um, so patients who are very stable on medication, uh, you need a catch-up follow-up appointment, they don't necessarily need to come in. Uh, yeah. You can do, you can carry out that consultation safely. You know the patient already, you know, there's very little risk in getting that wrong. Uh, and it's very unlikely that uh, you will need to intervene in, in a way yeah. that requires a face-to-face uh, so I think we'll be seeing more of these mixture of face-to-face and remote working in the future. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that will be the same for many specialities, won't it? Because I think there's Correct. a lot of shared kind of bits around that. So I guess um, yes. just to finish off, really, um, any final kind of tips and tricks for the people listening in around identifying kind of managing dermatological issues remotely? Yes. Yeah, so, um, so I think the things that I have picked up, because it's been a learning curve for me as well, uh, as a consultant dermatologist, um, one, I would say that history becomes very, very important when you uh, carry out remote uh, consultations. So put more emphasis on the history, uh, take a, a slightly more comprehensive history, focus on those signs which may suggest a more sinister problem uh, would be a good, you know, a very good starting point. Um we talked about dermatology being a visual specialty, of course, and we need those photographs at some point to match what we get from the history uh, to what the patient has on the skin. So good quality images. Uh, don't settle for anything less than that. Uh, make sure you've, the images are in focus. You get uh, enough images from the different sites which are relevant. Uh, and that you have a, a good distant and close-up images to be able to assess the distribution uh, and the morphology uh, of the actual skin rash. Um, one of the things that I have, I have had to find out doing these clinics remotely is that um, you've got a lot of distractions when you're at home uh, <laughs> yeah. and you need to try and minimize those distractions. Treat these consultations that you carry out at home or remotely as if you were carrying them out in your clinic. So make sure you're completely isolated. Um, you haven't got, you know, anything in the background, TV, children, ideally. Um, and you need to stay focused because it's, it's you know, there's, there is a higher risk carrying out remote consultations than face-to-face. And you need to be sure, you need to be absolutely uh, focused uh, on, on the job on the day. Um, <laughs> Again, always think, uh, always ha- keep at the back of your mind that you have to assess whether remote uh, 
engagement with a patient is the best option or is there an option of face-to-face that you know you should be uh, carrying out instead uh, and if you feel unsafe or if you feel that you're not able to carry out an accurate assessment for that patient remotely then abandon that plan and make alternative plans so reschedule uh, an appointments uh, or a face-to-face reschedule for a face-to-face appointment but if you don't feel you're able to give that patient sound advice based on the information that you've got, it is best to abandon and then uh, reschedule. Perfect. Thanks, Krista. So I guess uh, just kind of summarising to finish off, really, I guess we talked about um, taking that, um, making sure that the consult is the right consult. Should it be face-to-face or should it be remote? We've talked a bit about taking that right history and actually the history potentially even having more emphasis now and to try and mitigate for some of the things that we can no longer see. We talked about kind of the real value of those images and you talked about taking it from far away so you can get a wider picture and then closer in. Um, And of course the right resolution and lighting to do that. Uh, And obviously you've talked about the downsides of working from home as well. Um, And I know that all too well, we've got a 10 week old, um, so I'm (laughs) learning quite quickly the distractions in play at home. Yes, yes. yeah, no. They are di- they are difficult to control. I've got a I've got a yeah. three year old and a five year old, and you know, at any point they can just walk through the door. <laughs> yeah, see, I don't have and the problem. They're not mobile. Uh, he's not true, mobile yet. True. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> You're still in your grace period. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Perfect. Well, thank you, Christos. Uh, really interesting, and thank you for coming on. Um, I know a lot of the listeners wanted to get a podcast in on dermatology, so hopefully, um, you guys found that uh, really helpful. Um, So that is a wrap for our dermatology session. Thank you for listening to our remote consultation masterclass series on dermatology. So really hope you found it useful. And remember, you can subscribe to our podcast through Apple Podcasts uh, or on Spotify. And uh, we hope to see you on the next one. See you soon. Keep in touch with us for future podcasts by subscribing. And you can do this on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from.